we're just, we've spent most of our life together. So it's just like, it's just, it's like, it's life as we know yeah. it, you know? Yeah, yeah. 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 And our philosophy usually is, you know, one day at a time. If you like the person today, you're going to like Probably them like tomorrow. Probably like them tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> just, okay. You know, but yeah. So what's a bigger commitment to starting a band or being in a relationship? Uh, relationship. relationship. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot more to kind of go under that umbrella and compromise comes into play a whole lot, but it becomes like all one thing for us yeah. at least, you know, yeah. like we hear some people have like this sort of method of like, you know, keeping work and like personal separate. It's like when we're working together though, it's kind of just all one thing and it works. It works. Was, was the music there from the beginning? Not together. Like we were both involved in music since yeah. we were kids individually but it was never even like a conversation with us until like years and years and years of knowing it's, each other. It's very strange. Did you, right. you just have like different tastes or why were you not collaborating at all? We were uh, just like, no, we were, we were shy. Just kind of, yeah, we were both <laughs> introverted and kind of on our own path. You were shy, but not around each other, right? Well, well, at the beginning, we okay, were yeah, shy yeah. around each I other see, yeah. still. It took us a long sure. time to really like yeah. open up. And I mean, 10-year-olds. Exactly. Kids. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, even teenagers. Like that's that's a real time for change and understanding and getting to know yourself so what sparked that first collaboration between the two of you um i mean there was a few failed experiments sure. before electric youth yeah um <laughs> and like, give me some names well there's not oh, really no, names no. <laughs> thankfully no names. nothing saw the light of day Wait, there, are, there are no names or you don't want to give me names uh, well, no, there's no name. Okay. Really. Like, I mean, like nothing. You just, you tried, but you didn't, you didn't put a yeah. label on it. And yeah. And you know, it, it was, it was like, you know, still sort of finding our voice sure. as artists that took time. And like with Brahman's voice, it's like this very specific thing. And, you know, we honed in on with Electric Youth eventually, like this mm -hmm. thing that just like worked so naturally. But when we were a bit younger, we tried a few times, like, things that were just like a completely different direction it just always felt so forced and so it was really yeah i mean i think around like 2008 2009 um we were starting to see something happening with music and it was like the myspace era and that there started to sort of be like the sound that seemed like it was carving out a, a place for itself in like modern music that uh we could like really relate to and um and so it was that was sort of the first stages of like getting on the path that got us to now where you know we have like a clear vision you of mean in terms do. you mean like in terms of sound or just in terms of the um accessibility as far as actually being able to make music and put it out there? both both, both yeah. yeah sound first and foremost yeah. but like the accessibility as well you know and for us i mean electric youth even it it started as an experiment you know mm. we saw like it was like calvin harris at the time he had just been signed to Columbia from having like posted some demos on MySpace. So we were like, you know, <laughs> it was maybe, like the block house. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 let's put, let's put four things together, like four demos and just yeah. see what happens, oh, yeah. you know? And so that's what we did. And it just kind of snowballed slowly. And like a lot of the initial early traction was all like in France and, uh, and the UK. And, um, you know, when we connected with, uh, college, we ended up mm. doing the real hero, mm -hmm. uh, song with and his crew like valley collective uh that was really when we started to you know things started to move yeah it sounds like a pretty short period of time though you know 2008 mm -hmm. to drive was 2011 yep right yeah so yeah. that's 
you know, assuming that that yeah. like a year before that is when you probably yeah. got the call from from yeah. them. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because I remember at the time it felt like so long. Yeah, you know. <laughs> sure. Uh, now when we look back, we're like, wow, that that was just yeah. three years. But yeah, it was it was a couple of years that um, we really started. I mean, that, that was a turning point for us, of course, when when Drive came. Yeah, I mean, from that point was sort of like we were really able to to hone in on the vision of things for you know how we want things to be. A lot of what we did before that, I could say, was almost like we were in a bit of like a self-imposed artist development stage, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, certain things we even put out, they were really just like demos. And uh, when Drive started to take off and the Real Hero, we had like nothing in the iTunes stores, like nothing else in the iTunes stores. So we're like, man, it's I wonder so- if that was a good thing though, right? Because there was, <laughs> there's a certain be, yeah. there's a certain bit of, of mystery for sure, yeah. for sure. As we've gone on, that's something we've sort of tried to keep a balance with. It's not putting yourself out there too much. Exactly. Exactly. What does that entail, or I guess not entail? I think part of it is like our approach with social media and uh it's tough for us i mean i guess because we are and i think a lot of artists are like naturally very like introverted people and so for us we're very much about the music and it's tough sometimes like getting into that idea of like you know social media and how big a part that plays in everything and it's like a lot of the artists we look up to and that came before us uh, the ones we admire most, they also still don't really take part in that stuff in, you know, too large of a way. And so it's kind of finding that balance where we fit in, uh, into that, where we can feel like, you know, we're being true to ourselves, you know? It sounds like you went pretty quickly though from that specific collaboration to actually mm-hmm. putting stuff out in the world. Or mm-hmm. did that take some time to kind of get, yeah. I get, guess, get comfortable and get the, you know, be brave enough to put it out there. Yeah. I mean, it really helped us hone in on, you know, there were sort of a few different directions I think we could have gone and that really helped to refine our sound. Once we saw what, what of all the things that we liked about what we were doing, Mm. the part of that and the parts of that, that people were really connecting with, you know, we kind of zeroed in on that a little more and it was still like three years later before we put our first album out, like three years after Drive hmm. came out. What's happening in, in between there? I mean, obviously you guys are getting noticed and it's like, you know, there's, the, being on a soundtrack is one thing, but like mm. that was very much on that soundtrack. In fact, right. like it was a defining part of the aesthetic of that movie in a ways you Thanks. don't see a lot of times. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that is credit to uh, Nick Reffin as well. Sure. Um, you know, he's... Uh, a lot of our favorite filmmakers, and he, he's definitely, uh, you know, our favorite of, 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 uh, guys that are active today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd like to think unbiasedly so. He I mean, it doesn't hurt. Yeah. yeah <laughs> he, him and, uh, you know, Tarantino, Scorsese, mm-hmm. uh, Brian De Palma, a lot of these guys, uh, we sort of see them as like very musical directors. They're stylistic. They're really stylistic, mm-hmm. and it's music drives. Uh, a big part mm-hmm. of what they do and it's their way of handling that marriage between uh you know film visuals and music that creates some of like our favorite cinematic moments you know and uh nick with a real hero he built those scenes uh that it plays in in drive around the song in a way mm-hmm. that just created this thing that was like we learned things about the song from what he did with it even you know and like he brought meaning out of it that we didn't even totally 
see there. And I think like the way people connect with it, it just wouldn't have happened in that same way. Like I, I think it was in an, in a context that really allowed people to understand uh, what we were doing. And uh, similarly, I'd like to think that with the film, it, the song helped play a similar role for the film and really, you know, just it was a great marriage. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about this the other day. I was, I, I was interviewing somebody who started making ambient music, mm-hmm. and I was listening to his album, like, walking down the street, and just how much having something on your headphones just completely changes the context Absolutely. of things. Mm-hmm. Like, of just having a, a personal soundtrack. And I know with that song specifically, I mean, I, I, I remember seeing the, the movie in theaters, obviously having no idea who... Yeah, you two were because yeah. I don't think anybody yeah. did yeah, at that point. I so. And I, I don't think it was until year, years later that I actually found out what the song was about, which is oh, okay, which is interesting. It's a very, I mean, lyrically, it's it's very earnest in Absolutely. a way that, like, especially pop songs, you you don't really hear these days. For sure, yeah. You know, I think for us, and that song is a good example. Uh, we sort of see this distinction between inspiration and you know what the inspiration for a song was and what the meaning is and i think in a way oftentimes and again that i think that song is the case uh those are sort of like two different things in our mind and so we had our inspirations on that and you know the hudson river plane crash and captain sully that was an inspiration but then it was sort of using that as uh, as a springboard in a way for what we feel like is a larger meaning there. And, and at the same time, it's something I love about David Lynch that he he doesn't really like to say, oh, this is what this film was like. He'll mm-hmm. never say, this is what this is about. Mm-hmm. And I think in part, it's it's because at the end of the day, art is subjective, you know? And it's like, even a song we may have wrote, what it means to us, what it means to you, what it means to somebody else, I don't think any of us are wrong in, in what, what we feel that is. The, the Hudson River event was definitely the, the spark, you know, and, uh, my grandfather, uh, he was really moved by that, the way that was handled and that captain. He saw it as like true heroism and, and he saw humanity in it. And it was a poem of his that he had written in that phrase, a real human being and a real hero was from my grandfather's poem, uh, that he wrote about Sully. So it was like those seeds kind of, you know, we planted those and grew it into what that song is. Has your grandfather done any other songwriting for you? He has. He has. He has. <laughs> he, he's, if he ever hears this, he's going to be pissed because, like, um, we're always trying to credit him. Like, Grandpa, like, you're a writer of this yeah. song. He's like, no, do not put my name on it. Was it, it was it his idea for you to adapt the lyrics for that song specifically? Yes, it okay. was. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, actually, a so song on our Grandpa first record. wants a little bit of, little bit of rock glory. Uh, he's the most humble individual. Sure, Just to yeah. give you some context, he's a Greek philosopher. And he was a professor all his life as well. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, published Greek poetry. And he's actually actually quite an important person in the Toronto Greek community so he he's a brilliant and very humble man so he really would not want us mentioning it but he's he's so it's special. known it's he's, somewhat he's known one of the most special people. why was he I mean, why why was he interested in having that poem put to music i think with that particular one and he has like co-written if i if you asked me a few other songs of ours he, with that he wanted that message and that poem to get to sully that was with him. He was like, Austin, can you put this to music? And I wanted to, you know, go Pat, to Sully. Do you know if it's gotten to Sully? 
I don't know. I hope so. Yeah. I saw once that it's like on his Wikipedia page. So okay. if he ever read his Wikipedia <laughs> page, uh, just to be a little silly, does not seem like a guy maybe, who's checking his Wikipedia I, page. I, I, but you, know, know. Know. I guess you never, never know. know. Maybe yeah. his, maybe yeah. someone he knows checked yeah. it and let him know. But Grandpa Hopefully. has collaborated in some way or another so, with yeah, other songs. Um, he loves to give us poems and, and be like, you know, you should, you know, it's yeah. it's tough though because I mean, even when he gave us uh, that. Yeah, you know, with a uh, real human being and real hero, it's like it's very hard to turn a poem about a hero into something that's not super corny. Like it a can poem get from your grandfather exactly. about this very like specific recent that event cool. that yeah. can go yeah. wrong. Yeah, you know. And were so, you were you were you too hesitant to do that well, initially? I think you automatically kind of knew it had something really special to yeah. it. That so phrase, he was, he was yeah. right off the bat willing okay. to to go for it, and there was a strange coincidence between the phrasing of a real hero and and David as well. Yeah, I mean, our collaborator hmm. on a David Grelier College, um, he, I already had this the poem before the instrumental, and he sent over the instrumental just on its own, the demo at first, and it was already titled "A Real Hero." And I already had this poem that had this phrase, a real human being and a real hero. And so that sort of became hmm. like the, the thing on it was like, how do I bring these two worlds together in a way that makes sense? That's like cosmic coincidence. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it exactly. works out pretty well at the yeah, end of the day. Yeah, it sounds sure like. yeah absolutely. And so, yeah, uh, We Are the Youth uh, is a song on our first album, Inner World. Uh, and our grandfather wrote significant portions of that. Hmm. We would love to credit him if, if we could, but he would... He wouldn't let us. Um, and there's been others, but it's just, it's a challenge, you know, it's yeah. like, uh, I don't think other, I don't think we've released any others at mm -hmm. this point. It's finding that common ground yeah. between poetry from an 85 year old man and 90. what we do. He's 90. 90. He's 90. And <laughs> it's great for what it is, but it's just like yeah. that bringing those two worlds together, but he has a way with words. It doesn't yeah. seem like, in, um, collaboration has been a big part of your music over the, over the years, you know, whether it's, that song specifically, mm -hmm. you re remixing somebody else's song, somebody mm -hmm. remixing your song. Mm -hmm. How important is it for you to bring people in from outside? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's great. There's always, you're never going to arrive at a conclusion by yourself creatively mm. that you will with somebody else yeah. there. And at the same time, you won't always find that balance between there not being too many cooks in the kitchen too. But uh, when it's called for, I think you end up with something in a collaboration that you neither in a great collaboration, neither of the people involved could have ever done it on their mm. own. Uh, and I, earlier on for us, I think, you know, after a real hero, we start to get approached and there were some collaborations we've done that are even out there that were, you know, if we could go back again, sure. we probably wouldn't do this life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, without obviously naming specifics, yeah. what kind of jumps out as not particularly like having worked out. I mean, in part, it's like there's the creative component of it where it's you have to compromise in those situations. Mm. And it's just like a question of that point when it's too much compromise. And also some of it was actually the way uh, things were handled on on the business side of things. Not everybody is, you know, honest and, and straight. And uh, so that's, you know, there's those regrets too. But I think more so the creative... Uh, yeah. with some of them is just kind of you grow as an artist as well you know and it's like we like we feel so great about our first album like we still totally it was five almost five years ago now yeah. stand behind everything on that and you know a real hero and pretty much everything we did from a real hero on on our own like 
you know, we still feel like we listen to it today and still really feel good about it. What's remarkable, I think, about that song is how much you two kind of come into the world fully formed. I mean, obviously, you've known each other mm-hmm. for a long time and you had collaborated in fits and starts, but right. like, it's not like, you know, like when I go back on this, like a good example is I go back and listen to like Spoon's first record and it's like, this is good for what it is, but it sounds like a completely different band. And it's, it's, right. a, it's a band that like very much like, wears its influences on sleeves for, right. for you two that was electric youth like that was the band fully formed on that thank track you. thank you i mean it's great to hear that it came off that way and i feel like in our minds still we were just just approaching feeling that way about it yeah. ourselves uh i guess like in a, in, a, in a lot of cases prior to electric youth there was a lot that led up to it that I guess was when, you know, ended up being preparation. You know, I started producing records when I was like 17. And at that time it was mainly like in the, in the hip hop world. And I actually, I mean, I lived out here for a Mm. period of time and I used to spend a lot of time out here and it was like producing records for a lot of like Def Jam uh, artists, like, a lot of New York rappers yeah. and, and like now you guys totally different Drake, world. So now it's, now it's yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We definitely didn't have Drake back then. It's yeah. like he broke a huge yeah. glass ceiling yeah. in Toronto. Yeah. So but proud uh, of Drake. <laughs> even though we were new artists as Electric Youth, <laughs> and it was our first time putting ourselves out there as artists ourselves rather than just producers or writers, we were already at a certain level of experience with production, with songwriting, and when a, with an understanding of the way the business works. Um, so that I, I imagine that factored into us seeming like a pretty fully formed thing as well. And of course we've also known each other forever. I don't want to be like crass about it, but cause I completely understand it, but of just being like, Oh yeah, this hit, like this is good people. This is a thing that people want. Let's keep doing this thing. For yes. sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, finding that thing too, where it's like, you don't want to repeat yourself, but, uh, there's something we've always admired, uh, and, I think some people understand this. Sometimes people think it's a little crazy. Like we look at Enya as a really big inspiration mm-hmm. in the sense that uh, if you listen to Enya record from uh, 1984, if you listen to Enya record from 1984 or an Enya record from 2001, mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like it's the 80s or the 2000s. Mm-hmm. It's just Enya, you know? And that's sort of like ultimately what we'd aspire to with yeah. what we do is like, it's just a sound of ours that it's not tied to the time. It's not, it doesn't date. It's just us. And uh, I think Enya's done that better than anybody. I interviewed somebody on Thursday. I was talking to them about production techniques and about how his, his theory, I think there's something to it. His theory was snare drums. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, snare drums can date you yeah. fast. <laughs> yeah. So it, uh, do you know the band No Age? Uh, I know the name. I'm yeah. not super familiar so with the music. So he was explaining to me that the reason why their previous record was called Snares Like a Haircut okay. is because like haircuts, snares are the one thing that really put uh, at least a rock record. I would record agree with that. I would time. absolutely agree and with I think, that. And I think, I think production is like that too. I've been saying for a long time that one of my big issues with autotune as a tool is yes. it's going to be very clear what was from this era and who was leaning really sure. heavily in the same way that like a lot of the production from the 80s People Absolutely. had these new tools, they were playing with them, and it very much, like, it dates a record, really. Quickly. For sure, yeah. And I think with the 80s especially, the late 80s, to me, to both of us, got particularly bad. Mm. Like, pre, like, 1986, I think there were some brilliant things being done. But I guess it really was those guys that are always on the cutting edge of technology. Sure. If technology gets into a moment where they're doing something that's new, but 
perhaps not actually as good. It's new and different, but perhaps not as good as what was there before. They fall victim to to that situation. And I feel like the late 80s, you start to get a lot of uh, the introduction of digital technology. And some of it was a blessing. Some of Mm -hmm. it was a nightmare sonically, you know, and... So I feel like a lot of stuff from particularly the late 80s like did not age well at all and snare drums was a yeah. huge thing with it like snare drums got like so over compressed and just these big like it just it didn't sound good 1988 snare drums is a bad scene I think the cure like the only guys to me I shouldn't say the only there's others but the cure the, the first rare out. example of their records were still great then sure and again kind of like with Enya it was cuz they were just being the cure they weren't being 1988 yeah. cure they were just there's certain do. there's certain albums that I have in my collection that you're like it's just it's too, you, you can overlook it mm-hmm. right it's just the, the music itself is so yeah, good that yeah. you're willing to kind of forgive some of the production on our first record and again with this uh, it's always a part of our process is like there's a certain uh, aspect of production where it's like the reduction and it's like taking away mm-hmm. sometimes we kind of build it up and you're like okay what here feels like it's good right now but yeah. might not be good in 20 years and if any of that stuff we can take it away we always take it out and there was things we had in like even on our first record where it was like we were seeing a lot of that yeah. in that moment but it just felt like i don't know if this is gonna and it stick can be around tempting, like autotune for instance yeah. sure. you see it happening happening all around you and you're like oh well i could put yeah. autotune here you but then you're toy. not you're yeah, not exactly. being true to yourself oftentimes yeah. yeah. and, and it's just for the time and yeah. then you go back 10 years later, you're looking back and you're like, why did I do that? So we try and avoid that. And, <laughs> yeah. we, and we don't use hardly any auto-tune. So. You two specifically as a band get a lot of comparisons to music from the 80s. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. You, seem to, you seem to generally kind of push back against that. Yeah. Music. You know, it's it makes sense to us. You're right? using the tools in some cases from the Absolutely. Yes, it's the technology. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And, you know, that really is in large part the music that we grew up with mm-hmm. along with what else was going you know going on in the 90s and the 2000s but it's sort of like it's in a place in our minds where it's that's just kind of music as we know it so for us i guess where we kind of get thrown off a bit with the comparisons is just cuz we know what the intent is when we're working on the music and the intent is never oh let's make this sound 80s like we want this to sound like this yeah. 80 like that's we never thought never... to ourselves oh we're going to be a retro sure. band yeah. ever yeah well, what, so and, what can you put your finger on what the intent is then? I mean, it's just there, there's, I mean, there's no deliberate sort of thing of we want this sure. to sound like any period, right? Yeah. It's like we want this to sound like us. And hopefully that's not tied to a specific time. And uh, again, we totally understand, like, it makes sense that synthesizers, I mean, the 80s is really when synthesizers became the dominant force in mm-hmm. pop music. And I think at the same time, it's been that way again for so long now that I imagine in the future and at a certain point, people will start to see that it's just sort of like the guitar, you know, electric guitar. People don't think, oh, it's so 1950s, right? Even though that's when it really started because it's really had time to to make its way and and really get into sort of the, the landscape of music permanently. And I think in some ways... Synthesizers perhaps aren't totally there. Yeah, they're loading up. So some of it is time, and you know, for us, we're always trying to do our best to make the decisions, the creative decisions that would lead to you know things we're making right now that twenty years from now, you know, someone that isn't even born yet 
today, at mm-hmm. that point, it's going to be their favorite music. You built a custom synth for this record, is that right? We did, like a sample, it's a sample-based synthesizer yeah. with Brown's voice. Uh, and it's got like something like 627 uh, individual You're samples. You're to replace her, right? With no, no, no. 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 <laughs> It can only I mean, you, take, have, you have the real thing. Why do you yeah, need a, yeah. why do you need a sample? Can machine? only take care of ambience. Yeah, really. We were we yeah. were we were in, a bit inspired by uh, we saw um, 10CC with mm. their record "Not in Love." They spent like two weeks creating a similar sort of voice synthesizer. Back then, they had to do it with like tape loops. Sure. And uh, and like the you know on the mixing board, like each channel was like a note, and so. It's an example where computer technology makes something a lot easier for us. Uh, we were able to sort of build it like that. Still took some time. But uh, yeah, it became sort of like a, a distinctive part of the record. I think sometimes if you hear it, it might just sound like yeah. her like voice. Yeah. But it also does have a, a synthesizer, a digital synthesizer touch to it. Yeah, yeah. And it's also like each note is like 48 of her voices, so... All right. uh, so it's saving yeah. you a little bit of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. So. Yeah. When you consider how much of the band sound, it's not even like meeting in, in the middle. It, it sounded like when you're trying to, when you're first getting started, it was like you really kind of tailoring what you had to her voice specifically to, mm-hmm. you know, what, what her voice was able to do. But now you've got her voice as an instrument. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think on this record, we wanted to find new ways to highlight her voice as well and uh so yeah that ended up being one of the approaches that that we mm-hmm. took with it and you built a home studio as well yeah yeah what, why uh so yeah well so we were in a commercial space uh in toronto like a commercial studio space uh for about five years and we knew with this record it was like we wanted to feel as comfortable and as like in a very personal space and state of mind as we could and I think a lot of artists find this. It's just very hard to get to that place in uh, commercial studio. It's always more sterile and just like, it's not home, right? You're dealing with other people walking through sometimes. Sure. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's not a bad thing though, right? I mean, maybe, you know, yeah, to some degree. Right mm-hmm. So I go into an office every day. Mm-hmm. I yeah. work from home some days. Mm-hmm. Very distracted. You kind of sure. want, you want, you want like a split, especially when the two of yeah. you are are the group. Yeah. It, You're living it, together, recording together. Like mm. it's nice to have, like be able to go somewhere else and produce music. For sure. There's the pros and cons. And I, I mean, I think it requires a certain set of disciplines yeah. to pull it off <laughs> and to actually get the work done. And I think there really was an adjustment period for us as well yeah. to get into like, we got to go in and, and do this, even though we're not driving to the studio. Well, so there's a motivation to actually get in there, but, but also, and, and this is, I think a problem artists have generally, the nice thing about being freelancing, not having to go in mm-hmm. office is, you know, you don't have to keep those regular hours, but yeah. one of the downsides is you're kind of in a sense working all the time, right? You know, you, you don't yeah. necessarily know when inspiration is going to strike. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it hard to keep your personal non-work time when the studio is at home? Oh yeah, for yeah, sure. Like definitely. that's what I'm saying. It's completely yeah. mixed with us. There's yeah. no separation of yeah. that. Is that healthy? Uh, so I far, guess. so good. Yeah, yeah. So we're, far doing, so good. we're doing really yeah. well. Yeah, uh, it's definitely a learning process, and especially when things get really busy around the release of Memory Emotion, the new album. We we're working all the time, and there is no balance there. But we don't mind because it's it's something we love to do. Right? And we know it's momentary. You know, when you're yeah. putting out a new record, of course things are going to be nonstop. But uh, 
we've you know prior to this record we scored two films mm-hmm. between our first album as well and so it's been like we've been really working consistently yeah. for several years now with no vacations or anything so we're you, you looking must, forward to a little like actual <laughs> yeah. personal time but you must too, hate that but, question though when, yeah. when, when people are like so five years huh and yeah like yeah. Oh, Always, yeah. working in between yeah. yeah i think our initial intent was four years between records yeah um a in lot order of, to work on other things or that it would take uh, that long to to both, both. Yeah, yeah both like uh to really develop and i feel like there's no replacing time as an ingredient uh the perspective you gain from letting something sit for a little bit of time uh, is sometimes great because there's, there's, I think, a natural tendency to always be really into whatever you just created. And so a little time away from that to get you into a state that's a little more objective and perhaps you're, you know, you're able to look at it more like what someone not involved would, would see uh, or hear. Or, or hear. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I think the, the only way you get that is with time. And so, yeah, time to refine things and i mean a lot of our favorite artists daft punk is one that comes to mind they there's that space between records and i don't know i think it, it it's tough it's tough to do it an album every year at least in my mind and really keep up you know a level i mean there's definitely some bands that have done it uh they're magicians or wizards or yeah like maybe it's witchcraft i don't know how they're and, able to pull that off. entirely but, self-produced. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, takes there's time. that element too. Yeah. It's not like a pop record every year where yeah. they've got a lot of writers, a lot of producers on the record. Mm. We're doing it on the there's, there's not a sense that you have like a finite amount of time in your life in which you will be able to continue to, to produce music. <laughs> yeah. This is something you see yourselves continuing to do. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's, yeah, I guess that's the other thing. We, we've never really felt like rushed. You know, like it's more important to us to take the time and get to the place with something that we feel like 110% about it than just be like, okay, let's just get this done. And like so for, for this record specifically, when did the pieces of the first song start coming together? 2015. But it wasn't, we didn't work on it consistently yeah. through that time because of the, uh, the film projects. But um, it started really like we realized over the years, we, we've, we've had this idea in our head because you know, we, well, this first record to the second record, five years between, and we've had this sense that we do work slow, but we start to realize, you know what, it's actually not that we work slow, it's that we're slow at finishing an idea. Ideas come fast mm. for us, and there's a lot of them, and this record started with these 800 ideas we realized when we went back, like some of them... We don't even really remember when we did it. And it was one of the things that was nice about moving. You're looking at like home. files on a computer. Files yeah. on a computer, yeah. like yeah. sessions. And it's yeah. like sometimes. Melody reminders from our phones. Yeah. 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 And so there was like these 800 ideas and we were like, let's refine the best of these 800 ideas, combine them where it makes sense and just get it down to like the best material here. And so some of those were, yeah, 2015, even a little bit earlier, but, uh, it was like the last two years where most of the work went, and especially the last year where most of the work happened. The melody is the, that's kind of the skeleton that's, that's, that's the key. Yeah, yeah. You two were talking about the, I don't know if collaboration is the right word, but the remix of the, uh, the Ruchi Sakamoto oh, yeah. piece. Mm-hmm. And he's somebody who is 
so good at having he's that hook or but it's, it's that his one thing that sort of exactly just stores above everything absolutely emotional depth yeah. which just sits with you yeah yeah it was i mean it was an honor to work on a, a record of his like that did, did you actually collaborate or uh, no, no no it was it was all no we were no. told he's really nice and we couldn't yeah. meet him yeah um, yeah he seems lovely in the documentary yeah i, don't know if I you've think seen we will in the future yeah yeah no it would be great to he's yeah no he's just yeah he's one of the masters to us you know and on that note of collaboration too because i know we were talking earlier yeah. about collaborations we regret i also want to say that we gasafelstein uh, our most recent collaboration yeah. He's definitely someone that we do not regret okay. working with. He's, we, two, we he's love a gentleman you yeah, do not yeah, regret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With. And college yeah. as well. Anything yeah. we've ever done with sure. college. Richie Sakamoto specifically yeah. is somebody who's so legendary, right? I mean, to, yes. it would be like collaborating with like Miles Davis or something. Yeah, yeah. Right? that's how we yeah, see him. Absolutely. Which to me, like, I, I guess I would be sort of excited at the possibility of doing it, but also terrified. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. for sure. I think there's a little bit of why we haven't met him is partly because Austin <laughs> it was, was a little terrified. Yeah. He's yeah. like, I don't know. I'm, what would I say? You know? Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. You know, like, so he's, but he's heard it. I'm like, Soleil, who oh, may yes. or may not have heard yes. it. Yes, yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, no, it was, you know, it's one thing just meeting artists, other yeah. artists is, you know, no big deal. But like when it's like someone that's in your like yeah. top five, Guys that you don't even really think of as like sure. these are real people it's like, walking it's like around. Beethoven, like, basically, yeah, right? yeah. It's like, and so the the head of the of his label was like, "Hey, like, do you guys want to meet?" And I was like, "Yeah, I would," but like, I, yeah, I, I, you know, it's just like he's one of those rare like, people where know. you just feel like, what would I even say to? The I guy? think he would you just know, you know do some small talk. Yeah, no, I would yeah. love, and to then you would talk about the time you talked about the Mets with Richie Sakamoto or something. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or the Blue Jays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, his work. Yeah. I mean, as a composer with Yellow Magic Orchestra, like mm-hmm. everything yeah. is just so so great. Yeah. He must have been an inspiration as far as your interest in scoring, for sure. To imagine, for sure, yeah. Because he's somebody who he's somebody who when I think of him, somebody who can elevate that into an art form in and of itself. Who Absolutely. I will like listen to what's the the David Bowie Christmas? Um, Merry oh, Christmas, yeah. Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you'll just yeah. listen to that soundtrack. I don't Absolutely. listen to soundtracks, but I, yeah. but I will listen to that because mm-hmm. its own. It's one of those ones that transcends yeah. to just, you know, it can have a life of its own even outside of the which film. Which is good in case, like, hypothetically, a film should fall through at some point. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which happens. Yeah, happens. <laughs> it happened to us. Happened to us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, him, uh, there's a few other guys, too, that their their career arc as far as their relationship with film as, as composers and at the same time having a career putting out records, studio albums mm-hmm. as an artist. Giorgio Moroder is another one that comes mm-hmm. to mind that in that same way he had such a presence in film but yeah. also put out records of his own and as a producer he was so active as well. And uh, Tangerine Dream to an extent in that same mm-hmm. way not as much the music as the sure. fact that they have these, you know, they're part of yeah. both those worlds. You don't strike me as prog. Right. No, as much we, as we, I love, I love <laughs> a lot of their stuff. Yeah. I, I do yeah. love a lot of their stuff, but more so it's sort of like yeah. that, the, the career balance the that they to, had there. To to, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's really sort of what we've been working uh, on and, and modeling some of what we've been doing in our, our presence in both those worlds. But this, the song that was in Drive was not cre- it was not created to be on the soundtrack. No, of, no. Of, of no. I read people writing about your bands and whether it's a soundtrack or not, they describe the band as being cinematic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you considered yourself that in some For sure. respect? Well, you know, I, I, 
But I think yeah. with the writing in particular, mm-hmm. um, film often yeah. is a lot of the inspiration. Sometimes mm-hmm. we'll, we'll watch a film and write a song about it. And I think because of that, we are considered mm-hmm. a cinematic yeah. sound. Yeah, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, it's all it's been the case for us from the start. And I think Drive is when we first saw it connect yeah. as a result. Is like film has been a bigger inspiration for us than other music has. And did, uh, how much did, did that blow your mind seeing it in the movie like that? I mean, it was a special yeah, thing in the first yeah. time. It was yeah. very surreal. Yeah. Yeah. It was sort of like this like big wave that washed over me that I yeah. didn't quite understand what. Did, did the, you understand how inter- integral it was going to be? Not no, exactly. Had no, no, I had no idea. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. Not until we saw. It. We saw like a clip from one of the scenes yeah. earlier on, but it's still you know the things happening before it and after it in the film that really. Uh, I don't bring think it I'll ever get that experience again. <laughs> that first time. That feeling, first time. You know? Yeah. yeah. yeah of having- what, what, take me through the experience of actually writing for a film. How how that's mm. different than putting an album together. It's well, this thing. I guess for us, it's ended up a pretty natural process because in the same way that we're writing a song for a film that it needs to be for, in the past we'd be writing a song for a film that may already exist, mm. and that's just sort of our creative process of how we were arriving at some of the songs we were making. You have different parameters or constraints, obviously, if yeah. you're working with the director and you know he or she has their own vision. Yeah, yes. and I, I guess that really, that's probably the biggest difference between when it's just for ourselves and we have someone to answer to when, when it's a film, uh, and the director is the boss. And it's fun. I mean, I think it's both uh, both worlds, like creating our studio albums and scoring films, uh, bring different sets of freedoms and limitations, you know. And, uh, you know, in the record world, we're more confined to pop song structure with what we mm-hmm. do. Whereas in film, it's if it needs to be a 20 minute long piece, cause that's what's right for the scene, yeah. then that's what it is. And uh, so that's really freeing. But then, at the same time, you're constricted by the parameters that have been set by somebody else for what needs to be done. But ideally, you're collaborating with someone that you're so on the same page with that you feel like you both feel like what yeah. needs to happen is, is the same thing. And you can experiment with sound a lot in films as well. Like I always use the example of... Um, for percussive elements, for instance, in a film, we went out into a forest, mm. we recorded trees <sighs> we falling did sound. And, yeah. and sticks breaking and logs piling. And, and it was um, all ideas of the director. Yeah. yeah. And so that's something you might not think about on a record. But then there is actually some crossover. We ended up using some of those percussive elements in, was it Breathless? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we and ended the up using the, these uh, this uh, percussive sound of logs piling um, in the breakdown and breathless of our of memory emotion. So it's really cool because mm. you get to experiment, but then there can be some crossover and yeah. Mm-hmm. So there, there were there were takeaways from that process that yeah. you've applied Absolutely. to the yeah. album. Yeah, and I mean, there's even earlier things like uh, Modern Fears was like a bonus track on our first album, and we actually we wrote that. For Iron Man three, and it never ends up in the movie. <laughs> okay, I got, I got it. You got it. Okay, like these other ones, sure. Like I get it. They're they're dreamy. They're atmosphere. It makes sense. Even Drive it was kind of an action movie, but it was dreamy. Atmosphere. What, what's that process like? What's the right for a Marvel movie like? Really, I mean. I guess now that we've said, we've never really said that, I think, publicly, but if you listen to the song, you might see it. It's like, yeah. the character of, what we try to do is like, okay, so you have 
for in that example, Tony Stark, mm-hmm. a real and, and that character, and it was like in the third one, from what I remember, yeah. now, he was like going through some things. Yeah, yeah, he had some. There was some shit going on right. in Tony Stark's life for sure. And uh, and so I mean, what you try to, what we try to do is like find the parallels mm-hmm. between what's going on in the film and something in real life, whether it's our lives or someone else's we know, to relate it back to something real how do you what in your lives relate to the struggles that Tony Stark goes through it wasn't I mean in that sense <laughs> yeah. it was the idea of you Modern know fears. yeah it's tough now because honestly I have not seen that sure. movie in a long sure, time sure, sure. But, a lot's uh, happened in the Marvel Universe since then <laughs> we, we get busy the Infinity but, Stones and whatnot. but uh that was one of the things. That aspect of it, I can't remember if it was so much. I think it was, was so like also connected to like the advancement in technology and how that can bring about fear and, mm-hmm. and how, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and I guess they have Modern Fear is the title of the song. Yeah. It's like, you know, there's a lot of things in any moment in pop culture or just in society where people are all so concerned about this looming thing that it looks like it's coming. And yeah. a lot of the times that that moment where it comes never comes. And you look back, and it's like all those fears, all that worry, and it, you know, didn't have to be that way. Sure, but you know, you know like these days, <laughs> yeah. These I'm days. just thinking about, like, yeah. you, you know, you brought up the subject of the impending doom, and right. like it's like, right, pick one, right, right, yeah. sure. Yeah. But it's like, let's see. Hopefully, if we're here sure. in twenty years, sure, let's see. But you know, when, when you when you hear like reports about, you know, like it's like the Bowie song, like five years, right, of like right. before catastrophe happens yeah do you feel like those things inform music making as yeah well? i mean i think you can't help you can't but not, just right? we all live in in the world sure. so it's and gonna get especially with social media culture yeah, yeah. Um, it's constantly yeah. you're being bombarded with all the information you can't ignore it is, is there anything you're able to point to on the new record that you feel like was kind of specifically informed by the times I think uh, the life in Arawa were in particular yeah, informed definitely. by the times. And, and uh, now, now, to and now, now as well. How so? Um, well, now, now in particular, that's mainly about. I, we don't like to get too political, but sure. that's it's about war and yeah. you know, it's bad. I think we can all mm-hmm. agree that it's mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just how I don't know. I, I yeah. can't. I can't even explain it. The words are actually just very direct so if you mm-hmm. listen to that song you know what i'm saying it's saying like listen there's so much going on in the world like yeah. we're here we're sitting here we have running water roofs over our heads like there's like don't cry because there's, there's so much more have, yeah. going on in the world and so many more mm-hmm. concerns so you know. mm-hmm. do you feel like that sort of lyrical directness is kind of uncommon for what you tend to do i mean especially as yeah yes. uh you know a pair of people who like as you said earlier like to yeah. keep it relatively mysterious yeah definitely Uh, you know and i think uh with each record and this is really only our second studio album you have a bit of an opportunity to you you build on what you've already done but uh (laughs) you also yeah (laughs) you also each record is sort of like a research and development opportunity and it's like i mean that in the sense that you'll put something out there and You'll see what of this body of work, this this new album, what are people reacting to? What are they not reacting to? You know, what did we connect to everything on the record, but what are the things here that everyone else also connects to? And it's like you continue to refine along the way. And uh, at least for us, uh, you know, uh, a goal is we want what we do to reach as many people mm-hmm. as possible and for as many people as possible to connect with it in the same way we do. And so... There's definitely things on this new record we haven't done before, 
and it's still too really too new to make the call on but mm-hmm. we're interested to see how how that works and i think that song yeah. is definitely an example of mm-hmm. something something new for us and then for sure. five years from now you, you will have you four. Have, we want to do four. Okay, four years. Yeah. You will have absorbed those lessons yeah. and be able to put another record out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, meant to, we meant for this record to be four years okay. after the first one. Yeah. We, but I think that's another lesson you learn on your second studio album is like time. Yeah, you just have to keep creating. Yeah. yeah. What's next on the plate? Tour next year for the record. Some more film things, scores and songs. Uh, there's a number of films in lined up. It's a matter of like what comes first like the music world already moves pretty slow in a lot of ways on the business sure. side this the pace of the film world yeah. is a whole Much other slower. level of slow well, and, and having been through the process of, of having one of them fall through yeah you know mm-hmm. i mean you know you hear horror stories with with albums of mm-hmm. those being shelved but like yeah. that's got to be it's gonna be pretty heartbreaking right having worked on this thing obviously it still got to people but it didn't get For to people sure. in the way yeah. that you absolutely that you set out to yeah you know i think with that it's a thing where we were sort of disappointed, but the, in that case, it was a situation where the film had changed so dramatically mm. from the thing that we signed on to, the thing that the actors and everyone, the director, were really invested in. And so it was almost like that that film we did all that music for, it's almost like it didn't exist anymore because yeah. it had just completely transformed. And so... It's kind of we made we made the best of it certainly. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it sounds like it didn't sour you enough, obviously, no. that you don't no. want to go through the process. And we, yeah, we take those uh, moments in life as examples and learning lessons of how you handle disappointment. Yeah. And the better you it handle disappointment, the, the more you learn during the process. And it's just like life's little tests, yeah, and, and you move forward. And if you're still optimistic about things, and you're still getting work, and you're still mm-hmm. creating, then you know. Don't so dwell so on then it. that's not one of the collaborations that you regret. Oh no, no. no. no actually, the the next thing uh, we have, uh, like the next score we've done, is with the same director. He, I mean, he had the same experience as us on that film. He he actually walked away from the film. Uh, the producers had just kind of taken over and completely changed things. Uh, so no, we still still working with him. <laughs> um, He's a great guy, Anthony is. Scott Burns. Yeah. Is his name. But, um, you know, at the same time that we were going through that, it's like, you know, keeping things in perspective, we saw like uh, Johan Johansson, who was one of our favorite composers who sadly passed away pretty recently. He had um, Blade Runner. He was going to do the new Blade Runner. And this was after he had already worked with Denis Villeneuve on several films. And it's like, you know, when we see something like that, we can only imagine, sure. you know, and it, it happens. We realize it comes with the territory. But also when it's, it's like when something like that can happen to someone like that, yeah. you don't yeah. feel as special that you're yeah. getting older. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, it's part of the business. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, I mean, we'll get into the, uh, the, the third record as well sooner than later. We'll take, like, maybe, like, a, a month to sort of, like, not, not work on music, <laughs> you know? And then, then we'll start to get back to it. There you go. That was Electric Youth. Their new record, Memory Emotion, is out now on Last Gang Records. Thanks so much to them for taking the time. Thanks to Hector for helping to set up that conversation. Thanks to you, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, there are a number of ways to support us. You can rate and review us on iTunes, Google Podcasts. We're on Spotify and YouTube now. Like us on Facebook. If you have any feedback, it's rolcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. That's rolcast.tumblr.com. That is the 
first and best place to get all of your RIYL related information. And that's about all we got for now, so stick around because we're going to be back next week with another episode of RIYL. 